Rock Harbor Church tonight. Amen. Doing good? Amen. You know, uh, there's uh, there's such power in, in, in what Pastor was saying, and you know, there's the, the worship and the, the worship we give to the Lord, and I encourage you, um, and we've talked about it in here before, I encourage you, um, how do I say this? I don't want to say it the wrong way, but we have to be able to worship the Lord in spirit and in truth. And what, I, what that means is, is that we don't have to have music. We don't have to have uh, extra extras, what I call those extras. You don't have to have extras. We don't need anything. We just need us and him and nothing else. Now, that's raw. But I believe if you can learn to worship in that state, then everything else is falls into place. If you can learn to worship with nothing and come into his presence without extras, without anything, and be able to enjoy his presence, it's great. It's great. Let me, let me say, it's great to do it with music. It's great when it's anointed and we can just walk into his presence. And uh, it's, it's easier in a group setting. It really is. It's easier. I also encourage you to continue this in your alone time. A lot of times when we think alone time, we think of alone time as being just prayer time. It's just prayer time. Yeah, it's worship time, too. It's time just to spend some time in worship and worshiping him and uh, uh, being able to, to get into his presence, as Pastor was saying, getting into his presence um, and staying in his presence as much as possible. Uh, so this has been really good tonight. Um, I want to key in on a verse before we get started. Uh, you can turn to uh, the Gospel of John, and I'm, I'm going to... We've got our we've got our books. Everybody got their books, leaflets. Amen. If you need one, we'll get you a leaflet. Um, um, I've got a I got a scripture I want to read to you, and it's really kind of like the basis of of this tonight, even though it's not necessarily in our scripture base. But this is it. So, uh, Gospel of John, chapter eight. This feels awkward. There's nobody on this side. And so I'm just looking this way at you guys. Chapter 8 of the Gospel of John, verse 32. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. How many of you have heard that scripture before? Amen. You shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. So... I was, I've been meditating on this, and Lord, give me this, this particular scripture to start this whole thing with tonight. It's that, because we're going to be, we're talking about the birth of Jesus, and he is the truth, right? Amen. And when you look at the truth, when you, when you deal with the truth, then that means you also have to face truths in your own life. I have experienced this my, myself. You don't get to hang out with truth and not have to recognize truths in your own life. It just don't work that way. You don't get a free pass. You don't get to say, you know, if he's truth, we say, well, he's the he's truth, and and uh, I know the truth. Well, I mean, the truth is the truth is is him, but he leads you into all truth. We know the Holy Spirit's one of his jobs is his Holy Spirit leads you into truths. Okay, but there's a catch. You know what that catch is? Truth is not convenient it's not the truth is truth is most often 
inconvenient, meaning that it's hard to deal with, especially when we're being molded. And I think all of us, if you're a Christian, then you would agree with the molding process that you go through in order to be more like Christ, right? So you want to be more like him, you go through the molding process. Well, the molding process is connected to inconvenient truths about yourself. And so, I mean, the, the story that we're going to be talking about uh, tonight and, and about Jesus and, and his birth, all of that is fantastic. And when we look at it from that perspective and we see him as being the truth and everything that he did was truth, him being born and all the things that lined up and went perfectly, and we see God keeping his word to us, which is also truth, there's so many things that correlate together to bring us back to that truth. But with all of it, then there is a response. And you'll hear that at the very beginning of this lesson. There has to be a response from God's people to truth. To truth. He's truth. We agree with that. But then there has to be a response to truth. And then that is what I start with is that question is what is that truth to you as a person what is that truth to you what is the truth about you you hang out with truth you gonna spend some time with him you will have to confront truth in your own life whether you come up short of that bar or whether you have met it but either way you will have to face truth and so, I start it tonight like that. All right, get your study guides. <laughs> Y'all probably thinking, man, if we're going to start like that, what are we going to be talking about? Well, there's a lot of things we're going to talk about. Responding to Christ's Coming. It's the title of the lesson, Responding to Christ's Coming. Central truth is that Christ's coming calls us to respond to him with worshipful obedience. We were just talking about worship, right? We were, we, we were in a bit of season of worship there in the service, all right? When it says Christ's coming calls us to respond. Well, what the, what the in the context of the lesson... What it's referring to is the coming through the birth. Also, what I want to allude to is his return. Just for the sake of saying, not that we're going to focus on that, but for the sake of saying, Christ's coming calls us to respond to him in worshipful obedience. Not only the birth of Christ, but the return of Christ, right? This is something I've been really, really rolling over in myself. And for some reason, it keeps coming to me. And um, I'll be sitting on the couch. And I, and I think, what if he just came back right now? What, if, what kind of shape am I in right now? Well, I mean, like this moment, like if, the, if it was done, what kind of shape would I be in right now? Where is my heart at? 
Am I, am I sold out where I need to be? Am I completely where I need to be with him? Um, I understand that we're works in progress, and I, and I understand that. That's not necessarily what I'm referring to. I'm referring to unresolved things that maybe I needed to have gotten taken care of, and I hadn't quite done it yet. Anybody with me? If he came back right now, what would that conversation be like? And I've just asked myself that. Have I been responding in worshipful obedience? Have I been been excited about um, endeavoring to be closer to him and to connect with him the way that I believe that I need to be connected with him? Um, I've been very blessed and very fortunate. Um, there have been seasons in my life where... I drew very, very close to him in a way that I can't quite even put into words what was actually going on there. It's quite intimate. And I have desired to see that razor's edge in my life currently. And I didn't fully realize that there was a lot of price that was paid to achieve that when it, when it happened. Still looking for that. And I think that we should, and I guess in a sense it kind of spoiled me. Because it's like you experience it, and then I'm like, I want to go back to that experience. Not necessarily for the experience, but because I know how close we were. And I want that. I want that. I desire. I, I really endeavor to be back in that place again. And so... Speaking about response, our response to his return, now let's come back to the lesson. Christ's coming calls us to respond to him with worshipful <laughs> obedience. Um, his, his coming to us in as a child and in baby form, now we're in that season where we celebrate this. I said this the other day in Sunday school. I'll say it again for the class uh, for this tonight, that what other response should the church give? I mean, honestly. I mean, if you consider all things, I mean, we've got, this is why I'm actually glad that we're having church on Christmas Day. Because there's a lot of people right now, believe it or not, I don't know if you've been surfing the web or if you've looked at anything on Facebook, there's a lot of people upset that churches are having church on Christmas Day. They're upset about it. Like it's kinking the plan. We've got Christian people who are upset over the fact that we're at their churches actually having service, or their churches having service on Christmas Day, and I I bring back bring us back to the point: what is the church's response supposed to be? I mean, what are we in this thing to do do this for anyway? We're in it for Him, right? Amen. I mean, <laughs> what better day could it fall on? Yeah, let's put it in perspective. What better day could it fall on, considering this is what we're about, right? I mean, we're about serving the Lord. We're about Christianity. We're about celebrating the birth of Jesus. I said this a couple weeks ago, this is our holiday. But somehow, it slipped out of our hands and it's become, the world's trying to take it from us. The world is trying to take this from us, and they'll even scrutinize 
the way that we've handled it. And so my response to that is, is that we should be quite loud about how excited we are that Christmas has landed us on a Sunday so we can adequately worship our Lord properly. Properly. I'm excited that we're having communion. Um, I don't know. Maybe I've gotten, maybe it's because I've gotten older. I don't know. I've taken this communion approach a little bit maybe too serious. But I'm, I'm, I've got some work to do before that morning. I've got some work to do. Because I want to make sure that I'm right to take of the elements of representation of the blood and the body. I'm going to tell you something. It means something to me this time, and it means something different to me than it's ever meant to me before. And I'm being extremely cautious about the way that I approach this communion. I encourage you to do the same. Be extremely cautious about the way we approach this communion. This is something special, people. This is, this is the partaking of the elements on Christmas Day on a Sunday, the Sabbath day. It just really doesn't get any better than that. I mean, we've got kind of a, a bit of a trifecta of cool things that are going on right there, holy things that are taking place, and I think we should take them a bit serious. So I'm just throwing that out there. Um, all right, so what's our response supposed to be? Worshipful obedience. The sun, the, the sun has come, and people are throwing a fit now that, that Christmas has landed itself on, on Sunday, and so a, a lot of church people, or so-called church people, are upset that they're having to, that their kids are not going to be able to do the things that they had planned on doing. My goodness. Misty, when was the next time that it was going to land like that? 11 years from now. When did it happen before? It's been a while. Once or twice. But we've been a church for 20, 25 years. Right, where it lands on Sunday. Okay, seven or eight years, and I think this, yeah. Okay, so, so we're looking at the next time around, 11 years. You know what? I hope that doesn't cramp anybody's plans. <laughs> that it happens once every 11 years. That we can't, I mean, literally, I mean, I look at it from a spiritual perspective, but I also look at it from a logical perspective. Like, really? We're going to get upset over something that happens once every 11 years? I mean, what state have we fallen into that we're not, that we're not okay with it working out that way? My goodness, I wish this was on video. I wish that could go out. I'm, no, I'm nobody. But somebody needs to be told the attitudes have gone too far. If that's the case, if we're going to strain over that, then something's wrong with our Christianity. That's just what I think. So, under let's get started, and we're actually going to get started now. So in this lesson, we will meet two additional people who worship the Messiah. Their interaction with Mary, Joseph, and Jesus further confirms Jesus' identity and the joy and deliverance he would bring. While the events surrounding Christ's conception and birth involved the shepherds and the wise men, they also included pious individuals who had hearts for God. They knew the Old Testament scriptures that foretold the coming of the Messiah. I'm glad they, these two stories, these two particular incidents were in here 
uh, because once again, it brings validation to the truth of who Jesus is. It's not just a story, but we also find some historical truth here. And you've heard me talk about that often in Sunday school is that we should have faith and we should believe. But the, the things that excite me is, is when I can draw a line and I can start connecting events and I can start connecting lineages and we can start retracing these roots and we can come back to Jesus. And if you can find that trail, if you can, if you can mark it and you can find it and it can be found, if you can do that, then that demands a response. Because that says he's true. He is who he says he was. And bringing in these other two individuals um, into this, uh, this lesson just simply confirm the things that we had already believed. And their stories are interesting, so we'll get to those. They were eagerly awaiting the fulfillment of the, these prophecies. This week's lesson mentions two of these people, Simon and Anna. The Holy Spirit orchestrated the events in the temple that would bring these people into contact with baby Jesus, the Messiah. Okay, let's move to uh, 17 and let's read our scriptures. <clears throat> Misty, can I ask you to read those? Thank you. And when the days of her purification, according to the law of Moses, were accomplished, they brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male that openeth the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to that which is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simon. And the same man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Ghost was upon him. And it was revealed unto him by the Holy Ghost that he should not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came by the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him after the custom of the law, then took he him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now lettest thou thy servant depart in peace according to thy word. For mine eyes have seen thy salvation, which thou hast prepared before the face of all people, a light to lighten the Gentiles, and the glory of thy people Israel. And Joseph and his mother marveled at those things which were spoken of him. And Simon blessed them and said unto Mary his mother, Behold, this child is set for the fall and rising again of many in Israel, and for a sign which shall be spoken against. Yea, a sword shall pierce through thine own soul also, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. And there was one Anna, a prophetess, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Acher. She was of a great age, and had lived with an husband seven years from her virginity. And she was a widow of about fourscore and four years, which departed not from the temple, but served God with fastings and prayers night and day. And she coming in that instant gave thanks likewise unto the Lord, Thank you, Tom, to all them that look for redemption in Jerusalem. Right. Amen. Thank you very much. Part 1, Joseph and Mary obey. The law required that every male child be circumcised on the eighth day after birth. Even though Jesus was God's son, the Messiah, he underwent the same experience as every other Jewish boy. And obviously one of the reasons that he did was remember he had to go through and do everything that was required in the law 
He did not step outside of that. Just You could say, well, you know, he was the son, though. You know, he could maybe bypass some of those things. No. Remember, he said, he said, I did not come to do away with the law. I come to fulfill the law. And so everything was jot and tittle. I mean, just every, every T crossed, uh, every I dotted. Uh, the, the parents also went through, or Joseph and Mary also made sure that he went through this, uh, this custom. Um, the rite of circumcision was a special event. While family and uh, neighbors generally joined in celebrating, Luke focused on the obedience of Mary and Joseph. During this ceremony, the parents were given a charge to raise their son according to the law. That's an interesting charge. <laughs> parents given a charge to raise their kids according to the oracles of God? Really? Okay. Well, let's, let's talk about this for just a minute, and let's, let's consider this. Now, I would say that in America that we're... We're, we're challenged on this point here because, because of our freedoms, there hasn't been a lot of people choose that path. Now, see, for them, this was customary. I mean, they actually had a ceremony. Everybody did it the same way. And they had to uh, be charged with this and that they would bring their children up according to the customs uh, and the requirements of the law and that they would follow the Lord. Okay, so what do you think? What do you think were the results of having a society where kids were brought up and parents were charged to bring their kids up according to God's ways? What, what do you think the results were of that? A lot better than today. A lot better than today. <laughs> I mean. We know, just looking back at the Old Testament, that there were ramifications when you did not follow the Lord, and they were taken into captivity. They were uh, they plagues. There were all kinds of things that they were they were hit with uh, when they got out of line. the The connection here is that we have to understand, as as uh, being Westerners, is that one of the most important things, and this is still something that weighs on me and I ask myself all the time, could I, could I be doing a better job at this? Could I be doing a better job at this? What can I do to make sure that I bring up my children in the fear of the Lord? Because regardless of the what you think, you could say, well, you know, it doesn't really matter. Um, kids are going to make their own decisions. Okay, I agree with that. I agree with that. But I also see the way that the Jews were taught to do it, the way the law was set up to make sure that that was passed on and embedded into the next generation that was coming up. I'm worried, a bit concerned about what's been put in the children of this next generation. Even the Christians... Because what, I didn't say that right, have we adequately put in our children enough of the word that they understand that you cannot depart from this or you will die? And I'm talking about a, a spiritual death. You will die. We had a kid, we had a talk with our kids not too long ago. Actually, not Ember and Ryden so much. We had a talk with 
Zadenzale and Haven. And I'd say this is probably a year, maybe two years ago, somewhere around in there, about a year ago maybe, about decision making. And we sat him down and we said, you sit on the couch, we're going to have a talk. And of course my kids know, if dad goes around and says everybody get in the living room, we're fixing to have a talk. It's fixing to be a serious talk. And so they sit down and, I, and so Misty and I wanted to convey to you um, your responsibility as a Christian in that you're at the point where you have to decide whether you want to serve the Lord or not serve him. It's not up to me and your mama. We can't do this for you. Heaven and hell is at stake here. Okay? It's a real thing. You don't serve the Lord, you go to hell. You serve him, you go to heaven. And he desires that you pray and you seek his face. We had this, this is a real conversation. It was kind of hard. It was kind of awkward. But we had to have it. Because my kids needed to know that my prayers can only go so far. And that you're going to make some decisions on your own from this point forward. You're old enough. My boys will be 16 <coughs> next month. Can y'all believe that? <laughs> my boys will be 16. And my daughter's in college. I feel old. It makes me feel old. Yeah. <laughs> and so, it, but, it, but with that, with, with that has come some truths that I have to impart upon them. And that I love you guys. You know, you love your children, right? You, I love my children. You love your children. But here's the truth. The truth is, I can't save you. I can't do it. You're going to have to go after the Lord yourself. You're going to have to read at your bedside. There's no more stories. No more. Mama's not reading the stories no more. You're going to figure it out yourself. At some point in time, our children, we have to feel confident that our children can take over. And if we don't feel confident, we better get on the ball. If we don't feel confident, I said this, I said this in here. I said, if, if, would you feel confident as much as you love your children? If the country was turned over to your kids, would you be okay with them running it? I just... I wonder what people's answers are within themselves. They're like, I love my grandson, but no, he don't need to be running no country. <laughs> it may not end too well for us. But see, that's a sobering thought, right? That's a sobering thought. That really brings us to, to this, this place that they were charged with. They were charged to raise um, Jesus in the oracles of the law every Every parent of that day and time was charged with this charge. And so I, I, I'm saying that because the, the job is not over yet. And I know we are, and I, I, I get it. Jesus' return is imminent. That imminence could be 20 years. And if that imminence is 20 years, that puts uh, my boys at 36 with children, raising them on their own. You see what I mean? You say, well, 20 years, that's not very long. You're right. It's not very long. So I don't have a whole lot of time with them. This is becoming more of a reality to me all the time. I ain't got a lot of time with the kids. You didn't have a lot of time with yours. And it's like the time to actually put in them the word is like a fraction, and it's gone, and you missed it. And so I always I ask know. myself, 
Am I doing everything I can to make sure my children have the truth in them and that they are going to carry this thing on? Do I feel confident that these kids can handle this nation when I'm out to pasture, so to speak? Am I okay with that? Anyway, let's keep moving. So, um, I already said all that. And parents were also to name their baby. In obedience to the angel's commands, Luke 131, Matthew 121, Mary and Joseph named him Jesus. By giving him the, the name Jesus, Mary and Joseph were proclaiming his divine mission as Savior, not just for Israel, but the whole of humanity. Which, what does that tell us? Mary and Joseph were being obedient. Not only were they following the law to perfection, but they were also being obedient to what they were to name the child. This was very important because the naming a child today holds a lot of clout. Then it meant everything. It was a big deal what you named your child. It carried on. This is one of the reasons why at times that they would name their children after somebody else in the family because it would carry with it weight. The name carried a lot of weight. And so by naming him Jesus, that set the tone right there. That set the tone, set the playing field. This is who he is. Identification, right? Savior. Identification. His name will be Jesus, Emmanuel. That's very important. <clears throat> Jesus' circumcision provided uh, another confirmation to Mary and Joseph of who he was. God had indeed fulfilled his promise as savior okay i'm going to go ahead and ask this question here i want you i want someone to kind of weigh in on this in what ways is our obedience an act of worship i think we need to talk about that in what ways is our obedience an act of worship okay it's there's the truth in the question and that's the problem today worship's not obedience mm. it's invited and it's not what it's right yeah i mean and so, you think about um, the choice to worship a holy God. That's a decision that you and I have to make. We have to decide to do that. That should be something that we want to do. It's sacrificial, okay? Our worship, our praise to him. But we also know we worship him because of what? Not because of what he's given us, but because of who he is who he is. And that makes all the difference. You know, back in the Old Testament, Samuel told Saul, obedience is better than sacrifice. Right. And the ark and then the fat of lamb. Mm -hmm. That comes first. Obedience is first. That's yep. first and foremost. Absolutely. You cannot worship properly unless you've got obedience first. Yeah. Yeah, that's, yeah, absolutely. I'm saying you can't make noise and go through motions because sure. there's a lot of that going on. Yeah, oh yeah. Well, and it makes perfect sense. That's why they taught the children the word to be obedient. Mm. In these days, I mean, it was literally, that was their school lesson. That was their life, yeah, it was. For years in America, it was the school lesson. Yep. The Bible was the first thing they picked up in the morning at these little country schools and prayed. And yep. No wonder we got problems now. Yep. Strip, strip of all that. Yeah, and they Can't were. Do it. Illegal to do it. And they were poor as dirt. Yeah. I mean, they're God. Yeah. Poor as dirt. I mean, they really were. Um, okay, let's keep moving. Very good. Luke was careful to show that Mary and Joseph fulfilled every aspect of the law concerning the birth of Jesus. Luke 2, 
22 through 24, took place 33 days after Jesus' circumcision. Under the law, a woman became ceremonially unclean after the birth of her child. The mother then had to come to the temple to offer a sacrifice for her purification. The law listed several animals a woman could offer as a sacrifice. The pair of turtle doves, or two young pigeons, that Mary and Joseph uh, offered revealed their economic status. So we all understand, so you had the, 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 the uh, doves, or you had a lamb, depending on where you were financially. Joseph was a carpenter, so they were probably not destitute, but they did not have the means to offer a lamb, which I think also, and my, this is just me, thinking about Scripture, thinking about the way it all kind of lined up, I believe that this was in God's will for it to happen this way. It, it was humble. They were offering a lamb. Yeah. Sure, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's what we were talking about Sunday. The symbolism of where he was born in Bethlehem, where lambs were raised to be sacrificed in the temple anyway. The strength of the, I don't want to call it meticulous, but God all through this whole thing. Yeah. God's perfect order. That's how all this is taking place. It's not, not really meant to hide, but it's, it's there. Yeah. Per God's plan, everything fell into place. Right, absolutely. And so looking looking at uh, the fact that they had to give um, turtle doves, to me, is the humility of the, the circumstance that Christ was born in. I mean, he was already born in a manger. So the circumstances were obviously not the best. Definitely not ideal for a king, right? So um, the fact that they offered the two turtle doves, um, to me, still spells out this theme of humility and poverty in which he came up in to fulfill the ultimate sacrifice for all of mankind. I mean, it was, it's, I guess in a sense, if his parents were rich, if Mary and Joseph were wealthy, it would have made sense to the people that were looking for a worldly king. But for us 2,000 years later, it is much more relatable and much more connecting to see that he grew up and was raised in and not so good circumstances. That way he relates to everybody through his sacrifice. Well, that's that's just the way I see that. So Joseph was a carpenter, so they were probably, I'm sorry, I read that. <clears throat> they probably purchased these birds at the temple. Mary and Joseph came to the temple to fulfill another Old Testament requirement. God required that every firstborn son be offered to God. Numbers 18, 15 through 16 explains that parents were to redeem or buy back their firstborn son for five shekels, five pieces of silver. Luke did not mention this. His concern was pointing out that Mary and Joseph presented Jesus to God. I do want to say, I kind of felt like my responsibility to really get into the uh, the five shekel thing and explain that to you. Um, I'll just be honest with you. I, I don't have enough knowledge on the five shekels and exactly the buyback process. There's actually a bit of history behind that, uh, all connected to um, uh, what had really happened in the first rebellion of Israel and then coming up to the reason why every child, uh, there was a ceremony for the five shekels. So I'm not going to get into that. I will bring that up at some other time, but I'll just be completely honest with you. I don't have enough knowledge about that. Uh, Mary and Joseph's act of worship recognized that God had given them this child, and they were dedicating him back to God, which is ideal in every circumstance. And of course, this was the beginning, and this was the theme, but this is the ideal way that we handle 
receiving from God is give it back. Now, of course, it made sense here, but because of the the custom and what they were they were what they were uh, engaging in in this uh, commitment of the child to God. But what about us today? What about the way that when we receive something, whatever it is, that we literally in this in this sense we give this thing back to God? Well, let's just use our children for instance. We've been talking about kids. Let's use our kids for instance. Giving your child back to God. Has anyone have you any of you ever done that before in prayer? You would give our children back to God. Um, there's something to that. There's something to that. Giving and and. And, of course, you know, you want to be able to make the decision for your child. You can't. But the best thing you can do on your part is come to the realization that this child is not rightfully mine. This child was given to me by God. So here, Father, I dedicate this child to you. Now, see, I believe he recognizes that because he recognizes you as the guardian and the parent. Dad had to be in agreement on how that was supposed to work. You know? I mean, for it to be proper is what I'm trying to Sure. Yeah. I mean, we can dedicate a baby all day long, but parents could. Yeah. Like you said, they're the ones going to be raising the child. Right. Well, that brings up a good point is is dedication and and, and people dedicating their their children to God. you know, we've had dedications in here many times. I mean, throughout the years, throughout the twenty-five years, we've dedicated. John, have, Pastor, how many, how many, how many kids would you say you've dedicated? The parents are right up there with them, right. given specifics in the process. It's not just knowing them and let's go. It's done. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so, so understand what they're committed to. Yeah, and I guess that's really my point. Is is number? I mean, I don't just, know a lot. Well, just kind of going for for many people, they look at that as just kind of like a. A cycle, like well, I had a kid. I'm supposed to dedicate the kid to God, so let's get on with it. Little ritual. Yeah, it's a little ritual. It's kind of cool. We get to, you know, it's, we all get to dress up, take pictures, and all that stuff. It's not like that, and I assure you, here, it's not like that either. This is a serious thing, actually, and really, in a sense, if you put it correctly, this is a life or death situation. Life or death, meaning I'm talking about the life and death of of the way the ch- child is going to be raised, and that that child will walk in the Lord. If the child does not walk in the Lord, there will be ramifications for not walking in the Lord. I mean, those are things to consider. Life or death, and possibly life or death for uh, the Israelites. That if the next generation blows this thing, we could all end up captive and away from here or have lost everything that, that we held dear. Which... You want to ask my personal opinion? I think that's what's happened to America. That's it. Just kind of dissolved. Yeah, it's just dissolving around us. Uh, so yeah, we could harp on that all day. So yeah, let's just keep moving. <laughs> that was, that's a yeah. Wow, I can't believe it. Part two. Simon praises God. I'm I'm just amazed at the time. I can't believe that. Uh, Luke did not tell us much about Simon. He evidently 
was not a priest or a member of the leading religious parties. However, he was righteous and devout. His character validated what he was about to proclaim through the Holy Spirit. Simon was waiting for the Messiah to come and rescue Israel. <clears throat> this alludes back to, now, whether Simon believed that in a literal sense or whether he believed that from the salvation sense. Listen, I don't really truly think that anyone fully understood at that point what he was there for. But Simon, the way he seen him, was authentic, and that's the point that I want to drive home. But, but the Pharisees were in charge. They wouldn't have accepted him anyway. No. Uh -uh, I know, but he was coming back to king. So that had to be somebody else. Right. And so, so yeah, the, the viewpoint... The viewpoint that many people had, like I said, well, I'll, I'll say it down here. Too many Jews, this referred to the hope and deliverance for, for the nation from the rule of the Roman Empire. We've talked about that in Sunday school before. you got to understand, that was exactly what they were shooting for, and what that's what excited them about the prophecy, was they were waiting and looking for a king to come back and usurp the authority of the Roman Empire <clears throat> and to rule in the same sense as the Roman Empire had ruled, which was still, you know, the rod kind of thing sitting on the throne and uh they were yeah they were excited about that because that that was like y'all been giving us this taste of our of this uh you know this um dictatorship for all these years you wait till our savior comes he's going to give you a taste of it that's technically the the viewpoint that that they had um this understanding prompted the disciples to ask lord has the time come for you to free israel and restore our kingdom that's Acts 1 through 6. Listen, the church had that perspective for a long time. They had that perspective. They didn't fully understand it until Jesus was gone, what he had actually come to do. Uh, We've we seen that with the struggles of Peter uh, in the garden and in the denial. That was all from the, the angle that he did not fully understand. He did not get it, what this whole thing was really all about. So let me ask a question. This would real this really stirs me. If the disciples didn't understand why Jesus was here until it was really until it was over, how how much more do you think that we don't understand a lot of the things that are being shown to us right now in front of us? I'm talking about the time frame that we're living in that we don't really get it, the importance, the magnitude, uh, all of these things, if the disciples didn't get it, do you think there's a chance that we might not get it either? Mm -hmm. I mean, we look at we can look at the disciples and say, ah, y'all, you walked with Jesus. How could you not understand? Well, I kind of turn, I have a tendency to turn the coin and, and look at myself and think, well, you, you men were devout men. I don't see myself being in that same category as the disciples. And these men didn't get it. You think so, so you think one might slip by you? Mm -hmm. You think it might it you we might not fully understand the magnitude of this thing? I, I want to keep that in my heart because I realize the importance of his return. I realize the importance of of being a proper witness. I want to get to that before we close this thing down because there's going to come a point when this thing is over. And as I was talking to Nathan the other day, he was riding with me, and Nathan said, 
you know, it really bothers me that there's always been second chances. But one of these days, there will be no more second chances. And when it's over, whatever you've done is whatever you've done. And it's done. And, I, man, I kind of disturbed me. <laughs> I was like, you don't need to be talking like that right now. We're, going, we're at work. It's hard to digest. I had to think about it for a while. I was like, that's strong. That's some really strong stuff. Okay, so um, they they had asked, "When are you going to restore the kingdom? When are you going to we going to take up your you know take up your kingship?" However, Simon held on to hope that one day he would see the one who would bring Israel salvation and reveal God to the nations. The Holy Spirit plays a major role in Luke's gospel. The Holy Spirit used Simon to confirm that Christ is indeed the Messiah, Israel's Savior. We do not know how old Simon was, only that the Holy Spirit had shown him that he would see this deliverer, the Messiah, before he died. As Mary and Joseph entered the temple, probably the court of women, to dedicate Jesus to God, Simon was there. The same Spirit who led him to the temple also led him to this young couple and their baby. Simon prophesied, praising God, fulfilling his promise to Simon. He had seen... He had seen your God's salvation, he could now die in peace knowing that God had sent his deliverer. And I actually, if you look at the scripture, he actually says that, That's it's because it's coined in italics there, die in peace, verse 29. He actually, I, this was on his bucket list. This was on his bucket list. He seen Jesus and he said, okay, I can die in peace now. That was his words. He said, I'm good. I'm finished. Man, that's a powerful. That's a powerful thing that's, to say. That's what we should be saying. I've seen Jesus. I can die in peace. I, I can die in peace. I've seen everything that I need to see. In his prophecy, Simon confirmed that Jesus fulfilled God's plan of salvation. God had promised Abraham that his offspring would bless all nations. This has indeed come about through Jesus Christ. This is also a fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecies that the Messiah would be a light to the Gentiles. You have to forgive me. I'm skipping the verse. Uh, the verse parts there because there's quite a bit of reading there. This is the cons- uh, this is consistent with Zechariah's prophecy about the events surrounding the Messiah's coming. Simon also addressed Mary in his prophecy. Jesus' birth was a sign that God had a last at last provided salvation. People, however, would need to make a decision concerning Jesus. He he did everything that he was going to do, but then he left it up to the people to decide, right. which is. That is, to me, that is really a reflection of how great and how merciful he really is. That's, to me. Because there's no dictatorship involved in that. There's no making you. I want you to decide because it's, and I'm not bringing, there's no attention to the people. And you, I, I want you to understand this. I'm not putting attention on the people. He's the one that gave us the ability to decide. That's what makes it powerful, is the decision that I want to give up everything to serve him. That's the measure of faith given to all men. That's it. That's the metric. That's it. That's the metric by which it is measured by, is the decision. You chose to do it. I believe that metric will come up again when we stand before him. What did you choose? Did you choose me or did you choose manna? What did you choose? You know, how did you do it? And that's the that's it. That's how it's measured. Okay. Um, some would reject him and others would rise, experience the salvation that Jesus provided through his death and resurrection. The decision 
of each group concerning Jesus revealed that he was really in their hearts. The action Mary would witness by those who would reject Jesus would cause her much pain. Yes, it would. And I want to re recant something real quick here. When it says the decision of each group concerning Jesus revealed what was really in their hearts, that is no different today. And I would say, because the scripture doesn't change, but people change. And so, I don't care what people say today, that if you say that you serve the Lord, there should be noticeable change in your life. Yeah, there, there's got to be. If you're not changing and becoming more like him and following him in obedience, then I don't care what you say. It's not authentic. And, and you may call me out for that. You may say, well, Terry, that's kind of hard. Well, I didn't make the rules. It's right there. He says it himself. If, if you don't exhibit these certain things, or if you have unforgiveness, your salvation, that ain't nothing. You ain't got to love. No, you don't know me. You don't know who I am. That's like, that's like some of the most disturbing scriptures for Christians to ever get a hold of. Is to say you're a Christian and then look at description it says, the scriptures and it says, no, you're actually not a Christian. You actually don't know what you're talking about. Because you do not follow or have the things that are supposed to be coming from somebody who says they are saved. That right there is a getter. That gets me. And I've, I st I've wrote, I got my little book at the house, and I've wrote, I wrote and wrote and wrote and wrote some stuff about love. And that is some really powerful stuff because you can say a lot of things and you can have a lot of gifts and you can do all those things. But if you don't authentically, if you're not, if you don't have the capacity, let me say it like that. If you do not have the capacity as a Christian to love your other brother, then everything else is false in your life. And that's hard to digest. That is hard to digest. That made me backpedal and rethink everything that I thought was right. Wouldn't it? I mean, shouldn't it though? Because we've been talking about a response here. Well, how do you respond to baby Jesus? Well, I said at the beginning, he's the truth. And his birth and the way it all happened and all up to this point, it should demand a response from us. It really should. So I've got to finish up here, and I'm done because we're out of time. Um, I can't believe it took us that. I can't believe I ate up all that time. I just can't believe it. So and I'm going to read a, a short. I'm going to read a short. Um, let me let me next a prophet. This is part three, named Anna met Mary, Joseph, and Jesus in the temple. She was from the tribe of Asher. One of the tribes that had rebelled against Solomon's son Rehoboam and become idolatrous. The next information is not clear in the original text. Was Anna 84 years old at this time, or was she widowed for 84 years? Some of you've ever read that, it is questionable, so we don't really know. If she married at 13 or 14 years of age and her husband died, she was 20 or 21. Then she was widowed for approximately 65 years. If she was widowed for 84 years, however, she would have been over 100 years old. The important fact is, this is what I want to get to, is that she remained faithful to God. Some believe Anna may have lived in one of the rooms surrounding the temple area. More likely, the phrase night and day refers to her constant presence in the temple each day where she spent her time seeking God. Anna is an example 
of one who rejected the idolatry of her ancestors and became a true follower of God. My final point, it's not, it's not exhaustive because I, there was some other stuff I wanted to get to. But the final point tonight is this. So coming back to Jesus being the truth, he is the ultimate truth, and we all agree with that. And so we all also agreed at the beginning that truth is not always convenient. And I'll say something here that I think that I think everybody can relate to. Is that see, Christ, Christ represents the opportunity to change what your forefathers did before you. And if they did not follow the Lord, I'll put it in more a little bit more layman's terms. If mom and dad didn't follow God, if grandma and grandpa didn't follow the Lord, if your whole family is busted and just ate up with alcoholism and drugs and all of this thing, you can change it. You don't have to follow that. And you don't have to be like your dad or your mom. You can be like the Lord. You can be the person that he wants you to be. And I, I tell you, it's hard to get out of those images sometimes because sometimes people speak those things on you. Say, you're just like your daddy. You're just like your mama. And sometimes you have to flat out deny that. You say, you know what, I might have some mannerisms, but I'm nothing like them. It doesn't mean that you didn't love them. I want you to understand me correctly. It doesn't mean that you didn't love them. It just means that they did some things and, and put some things into your lineage, into the family, that you're going to have to step away from in order to be successful. And sometimes that's hard to do. And sometimes that's hard to say. But I said that the truth is not always convenient. The truth is not always convenient. We're totally out of time, guys, and I'm sorry. I, I tried to get you some points, and I hope that you guys enjoyed the lesson. Um, there's just a lot of information there. And Go ahead, Pastor. Yeah, Being that's a good point. Way, that's obedience. Mm -hmm. Obedience to God, if you make that your focus, your life will be blessed. Right. And progressively blessed. Yeah, I think that's a good point because coming into obedience to God's word and coming back to whether you like it or not, that's something I learned a long time ago, and I learned this at a young age. It's like, look, you know, you may not, you may not like it, you may not want to do it, but you do it anyway because... Your father said so. And, you know, I'm using this in a physical sense. Well, then I got with God's word and I started looking at his oracles. Well, even when there were things that I didn't want to do and I didn't really like that, well, I did it anyway. And the more I followed it, the more I understood that it pleased him. Well, then my focus really became about making him happy. Well, then if that's the case, the more I did those things that God wanted me to do, the more excited I was in my spirit that he was happy that I was following him. I didn't really care whether I liked it or not. I just wanted to be close to it. Does that make sense? So, anyway, we're out of time. Go ahead. The, the structure of family is completely in disarray today. Oh, yeah, absolutely. That's a, a, a moving away out of obedience to God. There, it might not be convenient to do what the Bible declares, but that's what God has set in order. Yeah, absolutely. I don't want to love my wife. I want to... And, and everything is in chaos. Yeah. 
in the beginning, how wonderful it was. Sure. And the longer this thing goes, the worse it's going to get. It's not hopeless because if you will just tune into one thing, obedience to God, get in his word and start being obedient to it. Right. What it says, there again, I can't leave that alone. That's first and foremost. Absolutely. Okay. All right. Oh, 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 oh. I got one of them waiting all night safe. You hold that till next week. <laughs> yeah, I don't get a chance very often. I'm joking. To do I'm joking. Like go this. ahead. I'm just trying to go and pray this. Eat me up. Go ahead. Um, you know, talking about going back to the first while ago when you're talking about having Christmas services on Sunday. Right. Did anybody go out tonight and look and see if they could see the star of Bethlehem? Did anybody know that that's been since? 1226 since the last time it was been seen. Mm. I went out and looked. That's good. I have to check that Don't out. Don't know if I've really seen it or not, but I sure give that sky searching over. <laughs> <laughs> I looked. I went out and looked. If you had, was you going to travel afar? Let's head it that way. Everything ready but my cat? <laughs> sure I do appreciate it. Yeah, that, I appreciate that, you sharing that. That's really a fact. That's I mean, good. That's good. It was supposed to be tonight. It was the first time it's been seen since 1226. I imagine that means something. It, you know, to me it did. I did go out and look, though. I mean, yeah. It's driven me to go out and look. I'll have to check that out. Yeah, that's good. I want to I wanna see that. It said it was supposed to be within, uh, uh, I don't know if it's visible all night. The way I understood it, within the first 45 minutes after sunset. Mm hmm then you could, it would appear you could see it within that first 45 minutes when you start to see it. So I don't know if it would be there all night. I'm sure it will. Probably. Right. But I've seen one star up there that just kind of shined out was bright and it had just a little bit of a golden color to it. Well, a little different from the rest of them. That's worth and checking that's out. The one I was thinking that <laughs> that's that's worth checking out. It's worth checking out. I appreciate you sharing that with us, brother. All right, if y'all stand, we'll be dismissed. Thank y'all for coming tonight and I know there's a lot of things to do. There's a lot of, I know at this time of year that you could be doing something else. A lot of people got a lot of shopping and all kinds of stuff to do. Uh, Misty and I feel that pain. We know, we know what's going on. But you made the sacrifice you're here, and I, I know God will bless you for it. So uh, let's pray and we'll be dismissed. Father, thank you for tonight. And thank you for your word. Thank you for truth. Father, help us to fall in love with your word and to stay in love with it. Lord, we love you. Help us to be obedient to your commands. Help us to love your commands. Father, help us to hang on every word that you say, Father. I pray for this congregation and the people in it, Lord. I just pray a blessing on these people, Lord. I pray for peace in troubled lives and troubled waters, Lord. I pray, Father, for uh, victory, God, where there's, uh, where there's struggle, Lord. I just pray, God, that this, this congregation, Lord God, would grow more attached to you than ever before in our lives, Father. And I pray, God, I pray that we don't, that things don't have to get bad for us to cling to you, Lord, that we just cling to you because we love you and because of who you are and not just what you can do. Thank you for this night tonight, Lord, and bring us and prepare us, Father God, for Sunday morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Amen.